0: What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and the host of the What to Know podcast. I'm here at Health 2.0, and I'm sitting with Andrew Allison, who has maybe one of the coolest titles of anyone we've interviewed, the head of Next Generation Clinic Enterprise Strategy at Aetna. It's been there for about a year, so first of all, welcome, Andrew.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: And uh, another brave soul who we sort of pulled in, you know, with shorter notice than we normally like to give guests, but that's part of the good and bad of being at events like this. Um, you've had a, um, you know, sort of a cool journey starting in financial services and noticing you went to college and on the eastern seaboard, both uh, Dartmouth up in uh New Hampshire, New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm from Maine originally, and <laughs> okay. grew up you in Boston. Know that. <laughs> I do, and I was trying to remember Vermont versus New Hampshire because it's right on the border, right? <laughs> it is. Um, and then University of Maryland. Uh, but you went from financial services, very traditional financial services, to what I'll call digital health, and you landed at this very well-known, you know, um, entity in the. Uh, Insurance space, but doing a very innovative job. So, talk a little bit about that journey, and you know, sort of what took you through uh, financial services up to where you are now.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and thanks for having me again, Aaron. Um, so, I think uh, you nailed it on the head. I, I think finance was uh, a underpinning or, or foundation that I wanted to really start with as my early early in my career with uh, Merrill Lynch, and um, and shortly thereafter, Bank of America. And it provided me the tools necessary to understand business models, uh, how do we create an accretive deal for uh, our partners that we're trying to contract with. Um, I also worked in corporate strategy, so I was able to work at the highest levels of the company, uh, building bridges across the organization. So, as you probably know, in that time period, Bank of America uh, had purchased Merrill Lynch and gave me an opportunity to work with both sides of the organization to understand where can we create value for our consumer. Um, so not only did I lay kind of that financial uh, uh, foundation, but also how do we look at, from a B2B environment, how do we look at the B2C as well? And at the end of the day, please our consumers. So, um, so that, I spent four years in, uh, in finance at Merrill Lynch and Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Um, but I also figured that I you know, really wanted to get away from the dark side, if you will, and, and find more purpose in what I was doing. Not necessarily changing functionally you know, my ability to find a creative partnerships, but, uh, but really have a kind of a double bottom line. And healthcare was one area of opportunity that I found. Uh, and you mentioned Dartmouth. Um, that was a, a really an eye-opening uh, experience for me to spend two years there and uh, really partner with our local health system, the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Memorial, uh, hospital up there, uh, who was trying to do really innovative things up there. Um, I think you mentioned a couple organizations that I worked with: uh, Castlight Health on the West Coast, looking at uh, employer benefit solutions. Uh, started a uh, helped to start a company called Docent Health, which is a patient engagement um, service in out of Boston. And uh, and even behavioral health with uh, quartet health, and so all of these experiences helped to influence my uh, my uh, really need or want to not only utilize my finance skill sets and you know building a business case, but uh, having that at the end of the day, I feel like if I do my job right, it enables people to get the care that they need uh, and make me feel good about you know what I'm doing on a day to day basis. So um, so that brought me to uh, organizations like Iora Health, uh, where I spent two and a half years and helped to build uh, their you know, clinic uh, strategy and, and growth across the country, and um, and then Aetna, to uh, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But uh, but it's been a great journey so far.
0: Yes, we will. And I always love connecting the dots here, where you know you look at someone on paper, and sometimes you can see the you know the sort of trajectory, and sometimes you can't. Uh, I worked at Fidelity Investments for nine and a half years, so that was one of the things I always I wouldn't say struggled with, but it was trying to make sure you were connected with the right purpose. So uh we looked at helping people retire and sending kids to college right so yes you're helping with wealth creation but those are two positive outcomes absolutely. of those things absolutely you got a little bit closer to like you said the the dual bottom line uh, and I will also preface this conversation for those listening in and for you. This is my seventh of the day, so oh. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you start to see, like, the glitch in the, you know, in the... Um,
1: You're doing great.
0: <laughs> I don't know about that, but either way, if, if, if we that happens, then we know why. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, this head of Next Generation Clinic enterprise strategy. I'm going to just read from, you know, your bio. You talk about... Um, These clinics that provide high-touch community-based, which is an important term, I think we're gonna talk about that a lot. It's like bringing healthcare and bringing these services to people. Because one, it's hard to get people into hospitals, emergency rooms sometimes, they're not always near people. People have a sort of natural fear, some people do, of these things. And particularly in certain communities, it becomes harder, right? So bringing them to diverse, sometimes potentially income, uh, low income deserts, which I sort of you know, like to term for. Um, you've been spending a lot of time thinking about this and we'll get into your models in a minute, but let's talk about what Aetna's approach is and then how you're sort of taking this on and delivering that.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually a great kind of two-step conversation, which I think first I would wanna just provide context as to Aetna and why this is important. And you may have heard uh, what we like to call as Vision 2020 which are essentially a list of accomplishments or goals that we have by the year 2020. And two of them, I think, particularly relate to and resonate uh, with regards to next-gen clinic strategy. Um, the first one is being the, uh, the payments. So we wanna have 75% of our payments in value-based payment structures. Uh, so moving away from that fee-for-service, volume-based payment structure to the outcomes-based, value-based payment structure. Um, that's, that's one that is truly critical to our organization. And I think the second one uh, that really resonates is the uh, expansion of our Medicare Advantage footprint. Um, We are a historically commercial focused organization, uh, so 18 to 64 population, and we're really growing aggressively our Medicare Advantage products across the country. And so our goal by 2020 is to be serving populations in 80% of uh, the county footprint in the United States. Uh, Right now we're at about 60%. Uh, and we're growing rapidly, and so with that context, how do we think that we can achieve those go- those visions, um, and do it in a way that benefits our members, and also you know the etna as a you know publicly traded company, you know our shareholders, and and we think that primary care is one of those greatest high ROI activities uh, that can generate um, you know kind of that again that double bottom line, and so. Next generation clinics I think are particularly interesting Um, and maybe to pause here as well, I think hopefully everybody that's listening to this podcast understands that there is a huge primary care shortage in this country. Um, You know, we have a uh, baby boomer generation that's growing by 10,000 members a day, uh, aging into Medicare. And so you have all of these macroeconomic forces that are creating headwinds for delivering the best care possible in the most economical way and highest value way to our members. Um, this is where these next generation clinics come in. These clinics like Iora Health, Chen Med, Oak Street. Um, these are uh, groups that are very advanced. They've been able to scale nationally, so uh, which I'll get to in a minute and why that's important. Um, they've been able to uh, successfully manage performance of their population and do so while delivering um, you know, really high impact care, going into the communities that are, like you said, healthcare deserts um, that are previously potentially untouched, low-income, diverse communities, Um, and having that high-touch care model with the the health coaches and care teams that can deliver that advanced level of care uh, and high-impact care that um, enables them to do what they do best. And so um, uh, I am happy to talk more about any of that and and how that aligns to the Aetna strategy, but at a high level, we see the next-generation clinics as being able to to drive forward those visions that, that I discussed.
0: Well, let's come back to that. In our prep, we talked a little bit about, um, I was asking about observations at the Health 2.0 conference, and you happened to actually go to some of the sessions, which is helpful. Um, we talked about Marcus Osborne of Walmart. I think he's the VP of Health Innovation uh, with Matt Holt. Uh, Matt is the one of the co-founders of Health 2.0. And one of the interesting things that they're trying to do um, is really bring that sort of, level of care and clinic into Walmart in a more uniform way, and I think the stat I heard earlier today is that they touch a third of the U.S. population, right? So, and part of what we were talking about in our prep is, with a CVS or a Walmart or some of these other retail footprints, we trust them. It's like we go to them anyway, so to go and detour off and to get your flu shot or whatever blood pressure is not a big deal. but. You were there, you listened to them, You know, they're obviously competition to some degree, but uh, you had some interesting observations and we'd love to hear you know some deeper thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and then I can get into kind of how we're approaching it at Aetna, but um, I thought that there were a few interesting kind of opening comments uh, that, that Marcus made. Uh, the first being, no one likes going to a primary care physician. Um, I don't know if I would fully agree with that comment. I, I think there are people that genuinely love going to see their care team because they feel that sense of community, especially with these next-generation clinics. But point taken—that the majority of people probably don't want to just go to a location that's, you know, just exclusively a doctor or a primary care location. And so, having that ability to go somewhere where you already go—in this case, Walmart, uh, maybe a, a you know CVS or a Walgreens—you know—as well. Um, that you already go there, you're getting something else done. But having that co-located opportunity to go to see your physician or care team member, uh, as opposed to overcoming that hurdle of oh, I don't want to, you know, get up and go to this, you know, this doctor. I I would rather just, you know, like go to the the pharmacy, pick up my drugs, and leave. You know, so um, I think uh, that is something that I think resonated with me with Marcus and and what he was talking about because he kind of sees this ability to partner with their existing physical assets. And, uh, and put in place these clinics that actually address not only the healthier populations with you know, flu shots or, or whatnot uh, but also the chronic, more chronically ill. And so I think that that's something that um, Next Generation Clinics and those types of organizations can help to influence uh, the, the care models in these organizations. So um, I'm hopeful that you know Aetna will do so as well in the future, uh, more so, I think to date, um, we have had a strategy that's focused on what are the assets that these retail clinics have today. And, uh, and we're looking at, okay, well, if we can expand in existing uh, geographies that we have and also look at what is our strategy for growth in that 80% footprint that we want to hit by 2020, where are we trying to grow our dual eligible pro- uh, products? So around the country, this is the dual eligible um, uh, special needs plans where you have people that are not only eligible for Medicare but also eligible for Medicaid, so typically your, your highest acuity, low-income population, and, um, and where can we help to influence the direction of growth for these retail clinics where they can make the most impact for our membership. So I think it's going to be a dual approach. Where, where do we have physical locations today versus you know, where can we um, you know, utilize those assets that like Walmart has today uh, that members already go, but, um, but I, probably the key is just to meet the consumer where they are. So if they're going to those clinics, great, but if they're going to Walmart, great, but we need to meet them where they are.
0: So I know it doesn't fall technically under clinic, um, so probably not in your purview as much, but, you know, one of the things that has come up a few times today is this whole idea of telemedicine, right? Uh, Is that something that you guys consider, like, virtual? Because as you're trying to reach deserts, there are still a lot of people that are probably 100 miles plus, even from a Walmart or a CVS or Walgreens, so, you know... Do you, how do you address them? And again, does that fall in your purview or is that somebody else's job to, to tackle? Or maybe it's not Aetna's, um, not something they have to worry about, right? Because it's not something that you guys are focused on.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I, I'm probably not the expert to. You should go on a deeper dive with uh, you know other people on our team. But um, I, from a high level, I think it is our problem. I think it's every health plan's problem because you have members that might be in geographies that are in more rural settings uh, that aren't able to get to those retail clinics that are you know in the more urban or suburban populations or geographies. And so um, I I know that for example the NextGen clinics, which is what I cover, um, those organizations have population health management tools. or or apps that they can connect with their providers or care teams remotely. They don't have to go into the the care setting. Um, They also have home health visits. So if we're not hearing from members that we know or or our population health tools are telling us that that we think that they're potentially sick or need help, um, then we will proactively outreach or they will proactively outreach to connect with that member. Uh, But with regards to the specific mobile strategy and and platforms that we may have for those rural communities, um, I I wouldn't want to misspeak. So I think that we should uh, maybe get somebody else on on the next interview. That's fair. I
0: I appreciate you being uh, good to the PR folks, right, and promising to not talk about things that are uh, outside the purview. Um, One thing I would like to talk a little bit about, though, is between being here and just in general, you've had a very diverse experience and, and worked at some cool places like uh, Castlite. What do you see coming over the next five or ten years, maybe just outside of even your day-to-day remit, and you know what are some things that we can expect?
1: Absolutely. I, I think probably the biggest thing that I see in terms of uh, just a powerful force in the industry um, is, and this is kind of my purview, but but MACRA, um, which is... Um, Uh, you know, it was passed a few years ago, it's really changing the entire payment landscape for Medicare, and so it's moving the entire system from uh, volume-based or fee-for-service to value-based. And so there's a number of tracks right now uh, that providers are able to participate in, uh, ranging from upside only to then shifting to up and downside risk uh, and additional advanced alternative payment model programs. And I see more and more innovation coming from the federal government in macro, which is fantastic and we're really excited about because it'll broaden our ability to partner with providers uh, in a way that's meaningful. And, and in, with regards to Medicare Advantage, you know, we've seen that roughly a third of the population is interested in picking Medicare Advantage plans. So um, it allows us more tools in our toolkit um, to partner with these providers and understand what they're going through, you know, if you have to go to value-based care because the government's telling you you have to, um, then how can we support you in that journey? And I think that that's one of the, um, uh, you know, true forces in healthcare that is doing a lot of good, and and I hope to see more and more of that uh, over the next five, ten years, and beyond.
0: Federal government and innovation—two words you yeah. <laughs> don't normally see in the same uh, sentence. I know, right? In the same so that is good to hear, though, and I, I was—I uh, I think I've heard pieces of that, but good to know that you're feeling like that's bringing real change and that we will see that impacting the landscape over the next uh, dozen years. Um, this is where I do like to shift gears a little bit, and we'll talk a little more about Andrew versus the healthcare space or Aetna, uh, and these are the three questions I like to ask folks. So, starting with, what's something about you people don't know that you're willing to share with all of our listeners? Millions and millions of listeners. <laughs>
1: okay, something that I'm willing to share. Um, well, I I am tall, so you may have guessed this, but I do I do like to hike, play you know a lot of sports. Um, one thing that I like to brag about is that I just started beach volleyball a few years ago, and I've won a few different championships, both in New York and Boston. So. Uh, Watch out, L.A., I'm I'm coming for you.
0: (laughs) I love that. And it does not shock me, but it's always nice to find out those little things that the academic also matches up with the physical. We usually talk about business books, but one of my guests earlier today gave me a business book and a podcast. And we were talking about the fact that we would like to get a podcast recommendation for you from you. And you said you had a good one that was uh, healthcare related. So please share yeah, that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, so I listened to one called A Healthy Dose. And this is a shout out to an organization that I uh, had the opportunity to work for and, and help with Docent Health, which came out of the, this organization, uh, Oxygen uh, Partners and Ventures. And um, it's led by uh, a-, a-, a couple folks that You know, I I really admire and um, I think it's, um, you know, a really good podcast to understand, like, what are the uh, new health technology or health provider companies that are coming out and you may not have heard of yet. Some that are, you know, well known and, and have raised a lot of money in the VC community, some that are less known. Um, and Trevor Price is, uh, you know, the head of Oxygen, and he's the one that kind of leads that, that podcast and, uh, you know, really, really admire it. And, and I think it has a lot of great intel and, and really in-depth interviews. So.
0: I will have to add it to my playlist, and that's an easier one than adding another book to the hundreds of books that I already have queued up to read. So thank you for sharing that. And then last but not least, and purely gratuitous, but a fun one, for me at least, imagine you're Stranded on a deserted island, and you can only bring one album with you. Which album would you pick and what?
1: Good question. Um, I was trying to think of something not embarrassing, um, but I think uh, honestly, I, I love Radiohead. I know that's probably a, an answer that you might get a lot, but um, I've had less the than you might think. I, I have okay. it a few times, but
0: not not, not, dozens, not dozens of times.
1: times. Yeah, I, I love Tom York. I, I love what they're doing. Um, just just incredible music, and uh, I, I've only been to a couple shows, but hope to come to go to more because they're just incredible. So,
0: any anyway, one album, album, album stick out, or, or is it all? Oh, them sorry. Um,
1: I like a lot of them, uh, and this might not be a popular answer. Because I, 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 I think I started to really like Radiohead and in, in Rainbows, that album, which was a, I think a couple albums ago. They just came out with a new one as well. But uh, a lot of the hardcore Radiohead fans said that that was one of the worst albums. <laughs> but, um, but I, I really love it, and from you know top to bottom, just uh, could listen through and on repeat. So. And I think okay, if I, think I, remember I remember
0: correctly, it. they actually sort of changed the music model where they gave that album away for free for they did, the first yes. week, or week or few weeks. Few weeks. And yeah, that, they,
1: that, yeah, they actually said, you pay what you want for that, the that's album. That's right, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. it was. But it was something, was something that, that I don't think, I don't think anyone, anyone, at
0: least at, at least that level, had ever tried before. No. No. And, it was, and it was quite revolutionary and caused and a, lot a lot of buzz, of buzz which, which, not the absolutely. dumbest idea in the world, right?
1: right. No, it was great, I, I loved it. And one
0: funny sidebar beyond that is I I, too, like Radiohead. Radiohead. Oh, fantastic. The Benz um, was an album that we remodeled, my wife and I, our first apartment together. So, so I still I, love, I love it. it. Unfortunately, I do not have PTSD. Uh, my, yeah. but I probably I, listened to that, you know, a hundred times, this. painting. And this was back in the CD days. Yeah. Um, so I like a lot of their music, but certainly the so Bends. You're a hardcore fan,
1: so what do you think about In Rainbows?
0: I liked it. I You know, the thing is, is I was at a point um, then where I think I had moved on to some different types of artists. So I definitely appreciated it, but like the Benz for me was the pinnacle for them. And I know not a lot of people, a lot of people like, um, you know, uh, okay, kid, or okay, computer yeah. rather, Computer, rather. Right? Sorry. Yeah. And you know, some of the earlier stuff, Pablo honey. And for me, that was kind of my sweet spot with them. Yep. Yep. Um, but I have seen them a few times live and they're a great, uh, great band and, you know, musical geniuses. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you. Uh, this is Aaron Strout, CMO, W2O, host of the What to Know uh, podcast. And we're here at Health 2.0 and I'm here with Andrew Allison. Who I'll make sure I get this right again. Cool title, but head Next Generation Clinic Enterprise Strategy at Aetna. Thanks for making the time, especially with short notice. Thanks, Aaron. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at whwillgroup.com slash to know.